You should have an insert in your bulletin from this morning with some notes on it. We want to speak to you on the subject tonight. Can you get your prayers answered? And turn it around and say, yes, you can. Amen. We can get our prayers answered. And in John chapter 15, the Lord talks about our relationship to him and our relationship to the Father. And among several things that he says there, he gives us the promise in verse 17, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Now, many of us at one time or another may have wished that we had that Aladdin's lamp that had a little genie that would come out of it and make itself available to us to fulfill any wish or any desire that we might have. Well, we have something a whole lot better than that, amen? We have a wonderful Heavenly Father who hears our prayer and answers, and the genie and all that's involved in that are just fairy tales. But you know, a lot of times the fairy tales are, come from some biblical truths. And uh, they're distorted, obviously, in those fairy tales. But I'm so glad that we have some underlying principles that are still there. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could ask God for supernatural help whenever we needed it and get it? Amen? I believe that's possible. It's possible for us to get our prayers answered. Is there such a thing as always getting our prayers answered? Of course, we know the standard answer to that is God always answers prayer. He says yes or no or wait a while. And he does answer our prayers. But God answers our prayers and wants to answer our prayers. And I think a lot of times we don't experience the answers to prayer because we just don't believe God's going to do it. We pray about things and we know God can do it. And sometimes we even think, well, if I could get the preacher to pray, or if I could get so-and-so to pray, God would answer their prayers, but God wants to answer your prayers, amen? And he wants us to come to him and pray. And so he says to us, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Who made that promise? Jesus did, didn't he? It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Did he really mean what he was saying? Absolutely. Can you and I really believe the Bible? Amen, we can. And literally, Jesus is saying that I can have anything I want at any time that I want it. However, he lays down for us two stipulations in order for that promise to be fulfilled. First of all, he says, I must abide in him. That means that I must be in harmony with him. I must be in agreement with him. I must want what he wants. I must be doing what he wants me to do. And secondly, he says... Not only must I abide in him, but I must be abiding in his word. That is, I must be in agreement and in harmony with the teaching of the word of God. 
these two conditions really are one and the same. Because Jesus is the living word, and the Bible is the written word, and they're both the same. And John tells us, Jesus referred to the living word, and the Bible is the written word, and John tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. All the way back in, in, at creation, the word was all the way back there. And we know that God says that his word is settled forever in heaven, and so Jesus and his word are the same message. They agree, they are one. Just as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, so it is there's unity between the Lord Jesus and the Word of God because they are one. And so in order for us to be in unity, we have to have a proper connection with the Bible, somewhat like a mother who has a baby in her womb. There's a connection that flows through that umbilical cord. The union, it's kind of like a, an appliance that we plug into the wall, into the electrical socket or outlet. When we are plugged into the Word of God, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Are we plugged into him? Is he flowing through us? Is his life flowing through us? Several years ago, a man by the name of Jesse Poindexter placed a key in his pastor's hand and he said, Pastor, he said, Shirley and I want you to have this key. And the pastor said, Thanks, Jesse, I appreciate it, but what is that key for? What does that key open? And he said, This is the key to my new house trailer down on Lake Cumberland. And he explained that he and his wife, Shirley, didn't get to spend much time. Maybe once a year they got to go down to the house trailer and spend some time there. And he told the pastor, he said, The, the, the freezer is filled with venison and filled with fish. He said, the key to the bass boat outside was under the seat. And he said, you can use it anytime you want it, as long as you want it. The pastor said this. He said, I only ever got to use that boat on one occasion. But he said, it was there anytime I wanted it. Now, that was a lot better than him owning that trailer and that boat himself because Jesse and Shirley had to make the payments. They had to pay for the insurance. They had to do the upkeep. And they loved their pastor because he had led them to the Lord. And they, they said, here it is. It's yours anytime as long as you want it. And in a sense, that's what God is saying to you and me. He wants us to share all of the good things that he owns. They're available to us. Because of our relationship with him, we're connected to him. Abide in me and my words abide in you. And that relationship gives us the key to get whatever we want, whenever we want it. Now, they told the preacher, they said, anytime you want it, you can use it. James said in James chapter 4 and verse 2, you know the verse, ye have not because ye ask not. He was inviting them, take the key, use it whenever you want it, it's there. And the Lord says to you and me, here's the key, ask and ye shall receive in Matthew 7, 7. There are many things that are available to us, but we don't have them because we don't ask. And sometimes we ask and we don't get them. The Bible says, James says, because we ask amiss to consume it upon our own lusts. And that carries with it the idea that we're not abiding in him and we're not abiding in his word. There was a man 
who was from Louisville, Kentucky. His name was Neil, Norm Neely. He told about when he was serving in the army in World War II. His company sent him and his group in to do a mop-up operation somewhere in the Philippines. The Japanese had fled the area because of the heavy bombardment and the overpowering invasion of the American forces. And he said that the Japanese, they did kind of like we did in Iraq. They left in such a hurry. When the Americans came in, they found all kinds of vehicles and planes and ammunition and supplies of all kinds. And Norm said there was this one big building there that was sealed with a heavy protective covering all over it. And he said it had a large, huge padlock on a heavy door. And he said the young soldiers came, they took their guns, they shot the padlock off of the door, and then they pried it open with crowbars. And to their amazement, they found that that huge building was filled with Japanese yen. It was the currency that the Japanese were using. There were billions of dollars of money in that building. And he said each of the soldiers, they took some of the large bills that were in there for souvenirs, and then they torched the building. And he said, we enjoyed watching that huge fire as it all burned up. And he explained that the Japanese had had that money there to finance their mission. They were planning on going from the Philippines to Saipan and then to Hawaii and then to Los Angeles and then San Diego and then to Denver and St. Louis and Washington and Baltimore and Philadelphia. And that currency was going to finance their war. And Norm said six weeks later, he said, orders came for, for my company to go to the mainland of Japan and to serve there with the occupational forces in Japan. And he said, when we arrived in Japan, we found the same currency that we had burned up in that building was used in every part of Japan. And these young soldiers had burned billions of equivalency to our dollars in yen. It was there at their disposal. They burned it up. They didn't realize what it was. You know, I think one day when we get to heaven, we're going to experience the same thing. We're going to realize what we could have had, what could have been had we asked. I heard a preacher one time say, and when we get to heaven, he said, I believe there's going to be warehouses full of things all over heaven. And when we ask the Lord, what are all these things? He's going to say, those are the things I had for you that you never asked for. We never asked for Jesus tried to tell us, he said in John 16, 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive. Remember our text back in John chapter 15, verse 7, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto thee. Now, I realize you can't build a major doctrine on one single verse in the Bible. So let me spell out for you the conditions that tell you what it means to abide in him. He said, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. He said, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. What does it mean to abide in him? What do I need to do or know or be in order for God to answer my prayer? First of all, the problem of sin has to be dealt with. The problem of sin has to be dealt with. Sin will short-circuit our connection to the throne of grace. David said, you know the verse in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, what? Will not hear me. 
Sin short circuits the connection with the throne of grace. Anytime God hears, the prayer will be answered. But he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If there's sin in my life, if there's iniquity that I'm not willing to confess and deal with and make right, God does not hear. And so if I want God to answer my prayer, i got to make sure I'm right with God. My sin is dealt with. Isaiah spelled it out plainly for us. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face far from you, his face from you that he will not hear. Isn't that interesting? He said his sin causes him not to hear. He also said, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. When you make your prayers, I will not hear. We know those verses well. In, in, in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, the Lord said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I, what? Hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their, heal their land. God said, if my people, if they'll forsake their sins, if they'll get right, then I will hear. But if we allow iniquity in our lives and sin that we won't deal with, God says, I will not hear. And so the problem is we've got to deal with the sin that keeps God from hearing our prayers. David spoke of the righteous, of those abiding in the Lord in Psalm 34 and verse 15. He said, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The righteous, those who have dealt with their sin. He says God's ears are open to their cry. Again, in Psalm 15, 17, he says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their trouble. I don't know about you, but I want God to hear my prayers. Amen? I think sometimes prayer, and many times prayer is hard work, isn't it? And if I'm going to put the effort and the time into it, I don't want to waste that time. I want to know that God's hearing my prayer and that he will hear me. John speaks of this in very clear words. He says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Do you want to know that God hears you? And he says, we ask according to his will. If he hears us, he says, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desired of him. If he hears me, we, I get what I'm asking for. And so I want to make sure there's not sin in my life that keeps God from hearing my prayer. Our object is to be sure that he hears our prayer, and that if he doesn't, then we find out why not and take care of that in our life. It's obvious that any unconfessed or unrepentant sin in my life or spirit towards God will keep the call to heaven from going through and from God hearing. So first of all, we have to deal with the problem of sin. Secondly, my prayer must be backed by an obedient will. It must be backed by an obedient will. An obedient Christian has the ear of God. When I'm obedient to the Lord, God hears me. What is sin? It's disobedience, isn't it? That's the very thing that keeps him from hearing. So if sin keeps him from hearing and I get right with God, I must be obedient 
And if I have an obedient will, God will hear me. 1 John 3.22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. That's the obedience. And do those things that are pleasing to his sight. Now, it's clear that Jesus always got his prayers answered, didn't he? When he prayed at the tomb of Lazarus, he said this, he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know, I knew that thou hearest me always. Jesus could say, Lord, Father, I know you always hear me. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? God, I know you always hear my prayer. Have you ever prayed and you felt like the, the, your prayer didn't go any higher than the, the ceiling? You just felt like you weren't getting through. Jesus never had that problem, did he? And it'd be wonderful if we didn't have that problem either. If we dealt with the sin and if we had an obedient will to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. I'm not surprised that he also said in John 8, 29, I do always those things that please him. Why did God the Father always hear the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the reasons is because he always did what pleased the Father. He had an obedient will. Do you have an obedient will? Are you obeying whatever it is that God wants us to do? If we can learn how to obey and to please the Lord, then we can have what Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Could I ask you tonight, have you had any great and mighty things happen in your life lately? Call unto me. One of the reasons we don't have great and mighty things is because we don't call. We're not asking. Call unto me and I will answer thee. We deal with the sin. We have an obedient will in our lives. Solomon drives this truth home by his statement. He said in Proverbs 28 and verse 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. If I turn my ear away from hearing the law, I'm not willing to do what God's word says, what his law says, then the Bible says my prayer, not only does God not hear it, but he says it becomes an abomination to God. He doesn't even want to hear it. He hates it if I don't have an obedient will. So I have to deal with the sin problem, and then I have to have an obedient will. Thirdly, if I'm to get my prayers answered, I have to pray to bring glory to God. I must pray to bring glory to God. In short, my motive must be pure. I must want the things that I want because that is what God wants. You know, there are times when we pray for things that we want, aren't there? We need to make sure it's what God wants. James doesn't pull any punches when he says to us in James 4, 36, he says, we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our lust. 1 Corinthians 16, 31, or 10, 31 says, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. My prayer, what I'm asking for, must be for the glory of God. Not to ask amiss to consume it upon my lust, but to pray and ask for that which will bring glory to God. If my prayer is for my benefit and for the, goods, the good of those that I'm concerned about, and I'm not concerned about God getting glory, then God's not going to answer my prayer. The benefit and blessings of answered prayer should always be for the honor and the glory of God. David was careful about this when he prayed. In Psalm 79, in verse 9, he says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, 
and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. And David had a lot to pray about, didn't he? He was dealing with some of the same things that Israel's dealing with today. Could I say that we can pray for God to protect his chosen people? But can we pray that, that God will do it for his glory? That God will get glory out of what takes place in Israel. John touched on this too. He said in John 14, 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What's on your prayer list? What are you praying for? What are you praying about? Is it for God's glory? Oftentimes I'll have people come and pray and ask me, Preacher, would you pray about so-and-so or pray for somebody? They're, they're in the hospital. They're not expected to live. Would you pray that God will heal them? I can't pray for God to heal them if they're not going to live for God after he heals them. Amen? And so I have to pray, Lord, heal them if it's your will. Sometimes I pray, Lord, heal them if they'll live for you. And sometimes when somebody in the hospital or somebody who has a, 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 a terminal disease asks me to pray, sometimes I'll ask them, if God heals you, are you going to live for God? If God heals you, are you going to go on living in your sin and, and doing the things that have brought about the condition you're in now? Or are you willing to live for God? Is it going to bring glory to God to answer this prayer? And then fourthly, our prayer must be by faith. We must pray in faith. Praying would be a silly thing to do if we didn't believe God was listening to us. Amen? God says we must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Many pray to be heard of others. And I believe they're wasting their time. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and on one occasion he said to them, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask, believing ye shall receive. You pray thinking, well, maybe God will do it. Lord, I'd like for you to. That's not believing, is it? If you know your sins are dealt with, and you know you're praying about it for the glory of God, and you know you're obedient to do whatever God wants you to do, you can pray believing that God will hear and answer your prayer. In Mark eleven twenty four, 24, he said, Therefore I say unto you, what, so, what things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. James chapter 1, verse 5, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. When we pray and we are wavering, we're not sure, we don't know. God says, don't expect him to answer that kind of prayer. You pray and know that you're in right relationship with God and he can hear your prayer and it's for his glory, then you can say, I believe God's going to do it. Believing is not only the main ingredients in us getting saved, but it's also the main ingredients in us getting our prayers answered. We must believe. And then fifthly, my prayer should be kept simple. My prayer should be kept simple. God, I do not believe, is impressed with long, loud praying. Now that doesn't mean it's, it's wrong to, to pray out loud because the Bible talks about praying fervently. 
And there are times when we cry out to God, and the Bible talks about that. But when somebody's praying long, loud prayers just to get the attention of those around them or to impress those around them, God's not interested in that kind of praying. Jesus spoke of the hypocrites that love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men in Matthew 6, 5. He told them to, when they wanted to pray, to enter into their closets and shut the door and pray in secret and the Lord who hears in secret will reward you openly. We're not praying to impress people. We're praying to talk to God. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 he said, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity. In the model prayer, Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Just a simple prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Seven words to pray and get what we need. I read a little thing the other day. Someone asked an attorney to put those seven simple words into legal language. And this is what he wrote. We respectfully petition, request, and entreat that due and adequate provision be made this date and the date first above inscribed for satisfying of petitioners nutritional requirement and for the organization of such methods of allocation and distribution as may be deemed necessary and proper to assure the reception of and for said petitioners of such quantity of cereal of cereal products herein afterward called bread as shall be in the judgment of the afore and petitioners constitute sufficient account amen <laughs> give us this day our daily bread you don't have to impress God. Amen? Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. I kind of like the Bible's wording better than that lawyer's wording. Did you know the Lord gave the whole account of creation in ten words? And what a wonderful thing it is just to keep things simple. Jesus said, the heathen think that they shall be heard for their much speaking in Matthew 6, 7. We're all glad that when Peter took his eyes off of the Lord and began to sink there as he was walking on the water, he did not pray some long formal prayer. He just cried out, Lord, save me. Pretty simple, isn't it? <clears throat> Short prayer, right to the point. He prayed about what was needed and he got quick results. And we should keep our prayer simple. That doesn't mean we shouldn't spend extended periods of time in prayer. The more I learn about prayer, the more I find that prayer is not for me to ask. Prayer is for me to praise. Prayer is for me to tell God how great He is and lift Him up. Not so much to be thinking about me as I am thinking about Him. And then, number six, prayer must be offered in earnest in order to accomplish its purpose. It must be offered in earnest. In other words, formal, memorized prayers are not going to set God in motion. James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
That doesn't sound like now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. I heard about one preacher. He prayed that prayer like this. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I tuck my feet beneath the sheet. Snore, snore. <laughs> that kind of praying is not going to make much happen in heaven, is it? Just talk to God. Be simple. Talk to him like he's your best friend, and he ought to be your best friend. You ought to be talking and able to talk to him at any time, at any place, about anything. As we look to him, the effectual, fervent prayer. There are times when we need to be fervent. There are times when we need to get serious about our praying and, and cry out to the Lord. And he hears our prayer, not for our much praying or for our crying out, but he hears us, he hears our heart and our spirit. God, this is serious. I need your help. Those of you who have children, you know when your child is crying out and there's something that's really serious. There are times when you hear a little cry and you don't pay any attention to it because you know it's not real. <laughs> there are other times when you hear and you jump and go running because you know that's a cry that needs help. God says, that's the kind of praying I want, fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then number seven, prayer must be made with the help of the Holy Spirit. It must be made with the help of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they should ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. He talks about two of us agreeing on earth as touching anything. That may be a husband and a wife who are praying together and agreeing together. It might be two women or it might be two men who covenant together to pray about a certain thing, about a mutual need or burden until God hears and answers. But I think it also could mean you and me being in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God. And we go together with the Holy Spirit of God to God's throne and He hears and answers our prayer. Since the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible are totally in agreement, then all I need to do is agree with all three of them and God will hear and answer and make it happen. Amen? Paul put it this way in Romans 8.26. He said, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmity. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I need and you need the help of the Holy Spirit of God when we pray. How many of you have had things that you've prayed for and you actually had to say, Lord, I just don't know how to pray or what to pray. I need your help. And I believe the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and helps them and presents them to the Father in a way that's in agreement with His will and what He wants. If I saw a beautiful... 2024 Rolls-Royce with heated and air-conditioned seats and an umbrella in both of the doors and cruise control that would slow down when you come up on slower traffic and speed up when they get out of the way and have self-parking ability and all that goes along with it. And I say, Lord, I need that car. God, please give me that car. I doubt if God's going to give it to me. He might let me drive it once in a while, but he's not going <laughs> to give it to me. In fact... I'm sure that the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't agree that I need it. However, 
If I ask the Lord, Lord, I have some suits that are wearing out and I'm a preacher and I'm preaching the gospel and talking to people and witnessing and ministering and I need some suits and, and, and I ask him to provide, that's a different story, isn't it? I remember one time years ago in, in the early days of our church, I needed some suits and I was praying about it and, and a lady in our church came and she, she said, my husband has some suits that he's outgrown. How many of you have ever done that? <laughs> And this man was a businessman. They were beautiful suits. They were expensive suits. And I think he gave me four or five suits. God answered my prayer. I know of another preacher who's a friend of mine. And he told about one time when he was praying. And, and he asked the Lord to provide some suits for him. And he said, he said I prayed about it on, on Monday. And he said, then I prayed about it Tuesday. And he said, I prayed again about it on Wednesday. And I think he went Wednesday night to a service. And no, it was, it was on the next Sunday because Saturday was out working on his bus route and, and uh, he said he was busy all day and he didn't even really think about it. And then on Sunday, there was a, a man in the church that invited him to bring his wife and kids over to their house for Sunday dinner. And the man explained that his wife was out of town and he was kind of lonely and he said, I was a chef while I was in the military. And he said, I'd like to fix a good meal for you and your family. And so he invited him over and, and he said... He started talking about biscuits and gravy and mashed potatoes and fried chicken and, and a big pie that he had baked and all of that. And he said, we were tired of beans and popcorn. He said, one fellow said they had a thousand things to eat at their house. They had 999 beans and one piece of cornbread. <laughs> Another one said he ate beans for breakfast and drank water for lunch and swelled for supper. <laughs> but he said when he got to Bob's house, he had a delicious meal. He said, we pigged out. We were hungry. And after the meal, he said, Bob asked me to come into the bedroom and, and see something that the Lord had given him. And he said, he took him in his bedroom and he opened the closet. And he said, there in the closet were eight beautiful new suits. And he said, Bob, where in the world did you get these? And he said, he had a brother that owned and operated a clothing store in South Carolina. And he said, I visited him a few weeks ago. And he said, he gave me these eight beautiful, brand new, expensive suits. And he said, he looked at this preacher and he said, what size do you wear? And he said, that size, exactly that size. <laughs> and he said, he handed me one of those suits. And he said, what do you think of that? And he said, it's beautiful. He said, he handed me another one. And he handed me another one. He said, he gave me three suits. He said, they fit me perfectly. And then he said this, he said, God knows my size. <laughs> and then he said, I got to thinking, I prayed Monday and I prayed Tuesday and I prayed Wednesday. And he gave me three suits. I prayed three days. He said, I wish I'd have prayed four or five days, he said. <laughs> God can and will answer when we come to him and when we pray. I remember when we built our first building over on the other side. <laughs> we bought the property. We were meeting in a house over there and we began to pray for God to provide for us to build that building. We used to have a trail in the woods back here and I'd walk that trail and I would pray and ask the Lord to provide. And one day, Brother Dick Walker, who's now in heaven, called me and he said, Brother Tim, did you see the news tonight? And I said, no. He said, you got to see the news. You got to turn it on. I turned on the news and there were a group of men from Longview, Texas, who were coming to, they come to, to this area, to Cincinnati, the tri-state, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky, 
they come every summer for the month of July and build a church somewhere. And I got the man's name that was the head of it, and I called him up. And I told him we were getting ready to build a church. And this was, they were, this was in July when they were building here, and they usually came just in the month of July. And we talked for a little while, and they were, these guys were part of the Southern Baptist Convention. They had a group called Builders for Christ, and I told him, I said, our church is an independent church. It's not a part of the convention. And he said, that's all right. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, are you winning any souls? I said, yes, sir. He said, then we'll come help you. And they didn't wait till next July. They came in November. And they came in here on a, on a, uh, a Wednesday. We had, I think, 12 campers parked on the property. I ordered the material. I took the blueprints to several building supply companies. They made me a, a materials list. I ordered the materials. They came in, started on Thursday morning. I think we had, I think we had five men, something like that, on, thir- on Thursday morning. We started Thursday and Friday. On Saturday, we had 75 men from 17 different churches. And by Saturday night, we put the roof on, had the building enclosed in three days. Only God could do that. Amen. Only God. When we built this building, you know we prayed and asked the Lord to provide, and God impressed on my heart and the heart of our men to build debt-free. I went to see a lady, a widow. I visited her for, with her for a little while and got ready to leave, and she said, sit down for just a minute. She said, I want to go in the back. I've got something for you. She went in the back, and she got an envelope, and she brought it out. She said, I've been saving some money out of my grocery money. She said, I'd like to buy a few bricks from that, for that new building. She gave me an envelope, and I thanked her for it. I stuck it in my pocket, went out and left, got down the street far enough where she couldn't see me if she was looking out the window, and I got the envelope out. There were 10 $100 bills in there, $1,000. That lady did that three times, and each time it was just like the Lord said, Tim, I want to provide and build debt-free. And when we had our first service in this building in 2003, it was completely paid for. Why? Because God answers prayer. And God, the same God who answers my prayer, and the same God who answered our prayers as we prayed about the buildings, and I could go on and tell you many other things that God has done. I think of, of Kitty's husband, Kennedy. Kenny. We prayed for him for 25 years. And one week, Kitty went to Florida to visit Kimberly. And I said, I want to go see Kenny because Kitty's not going to be there and so I can catch him alone and talk to him. And so I went over and I talked to him for a while and I asked him, I said, Kenny, I said, why haven't you ever gotten saved? He said, well, I don't know. And I knew his family background and all. I said, were you afraid to, to uh, alienate your family? And he said, no, not really. I said, well, don't you think it's about time you get saved? He said, yeah. I said, Okay. <laughs> I shared the gospel, he prayed with me, and he asked the Lord to save him. And then he said to me, he said, now I want you to know I'm not coming forward Sunday. He'd been to church enough, he knew the, the drill. He said, Kitty's in Florida, and he said, I'm not going to come forward while she's gone. And so I said, okay, I'm not telling anybody, it's up to you. And so the next Sunday, Kitty was back, and it was in the early service, I believe. We were having two services then, and I gave the invitation, and Kenny came forward and made his public profession. Got, he had gotten saved. 25 years we prayed. God answers prayer. And there were a lot of you who were praying for Kenny for all those years. I remember Buster Taylor. Some of you remember him. 
He used to bring his, his wife, Helen, would say, we'd have a snowstorm or ice storm. You've got to go clean my church parking lot and send him up here. I witnessed him. I'd go see him. Buster was construction, hard. I'd go into his home and sit down at the kitchen table and he'd say, can I get you a beer, preacher? And he'd kind of laugh. And after I drank with him, I would, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would share the gospel. Buster got sick. And I was at the house talking with him. And he took me out in the garage to show me some things. There was a little stool there. And I sat on the stool. And I said, Buster, let me tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And I shared the gospel with him. And he looked at me and he said, he said, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready yet. And so we left, and several weeks later, he was in the hospital. And I went to see him at the hospital, and he said to me, he said, Preacher, he said, I'm not going to go. He said, I'm not going to get over this one. I'm not going to make it. I said, Buster, I said, when it comes to building highways and moving the earth and, and, and preparing property for buildings, I said, you're the expert. But I said, when it comes to going to heaven, I said, I'm the expert. Why don't you let me help you? He said, okay. And I shared the gospel, Vicki and I, there at the hospital room, and he prayed and trusted the Lord as his Savior. And we were talking for a little while after he got saved, and, and, and he said something, used the word darn. He said darn something like that. And, and as soon as he said it, he looked up and he said, see there, it's working already. He said, before I would have said, and he said something else. <laughs> and people were praying for Buster, and he got saved. I'm glad God answers prayer. Don't quit praying for your loved ones. Don't quit praying for your friends. Don't quit praying for your children. Don't quit praying for the people you work with. God answers and God wants to answer our prayers. Is there some sin in your life you need to get out of the way? Do you have a willing spirit to do whatever God wants you to do? Are we serious about our prayer? Are we praying fervently? Are we keeping it simple? The Lord knows what the need is. You don't have to beat about around the bush. Just tell God what it is. You ever, you ever pray about something and you say, the Lord, you know, I've been thinking, and, and God already knows what you've been thinking. <laughs> Just ask him what the need is. God wants to answer prayer. Remember our verse, if you abide in me, are you abiding in him? And my words abide in you. Is his words abiding in you? I go to bed almost every night and I have a verse that I've written out that day on a three by five card. And I go to bed at night and meditate on that verse because I want God's word to abide in me. And God says, if you'll abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the hundreds and thousands of prayers over the years that you have answered, not just for me, but for your people. Many sitting here tonight could tell stories over and over of how you've heard and answered their prayer. And yet, Lord, sometimes we begin to let those simple things that we've talked about tonight slip in our lives. And we allow sin to get in. Or we let our, our will 
get focused on what we want and not being obedient to you. And sometimes we just forget that you want to do so much for us if we'll just meet the conditions. Help us tonight to be willing to say, Lord, I want to abide in you. I want your word to abide in me. And I want to ask and know that you hear and therefore know that you'll answer my prayer. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.